Hey security peeps, it is Renee Small and I am back with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity and today it is just me. Unfortunately, Dr. Dan cannot be with us today. So I put out a um, question to LinkedIn to say, hey folks, do you have any questions that you would like for me to answer um, in regards to career-related stuff, resumes? So this is an open forum with me. Maybe Chris will grace us with his presence. Um, I'm not sure if he's available yet but I am happy to answer any questions that you may have in regards to your career. So I know right before I hopped on here, a couple questions came through um, on, the, on LinkedIn and I will start with the first one that was here from Sue. So Sue Lem says um, she wants to know how she can leverage her prior experience in IT compliance and operations to break into cybersecurity project management. So all of the PM engagement management positions require years of cybersecurity experience and um, a background or programming knowledge. And she says she can research and learn anything and she's not looking for a handout. She just wants to be able to prove herself and prove how dedicated and capable she is. So, Sue, I will tell you that, one, I don't know if you're actively, um, if you're currently employed, but if you are, you know, one of the first things that I tell people to do is to take a look within your own company to see if there's anything that you can get your hands on in any way you can get experience in your own company that you're in. So I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile and I'm seeing that you are already, it looks like you're at Rear Day Consulting. I'm not sure if that's your own company. Um, if it is, if you're inside of that company still and there's opportunity to get your hands into cybersecurity related PM work, I would absolutely tell you to beg, like go in there and ask them to give you a project or to allow you to jump into a project there. Um, another way to do so is to volunteer um, if there are opportunities like in your church or anywhere else, you can also ask to volunteer at certain um, nonprofit organizations because they very, very likely need your help. So Internal is the first place, especially if you're in a large company. And I want to say this to so many people that are out there that are looking to break into the industry. One of the things I think that folks overlook is their own companies. So if you think about if you are working in a large organization, but you're in a different role, figure out how, go, go to the cybersecurity leaders, go to the folks that are um, or your or your peers in cybersecurity, maybe not not necessarily always the person the CISO at the top that's probably running around super busy, but some of the folks that are beneath him or her, and ask how can you, um, what can you do, what kind of projects can you take on, how can you volunteer your time after your regular day daytime hours, to help in their department or in their group. It is very seldom that somebody is going to turn you down to if you would like to help with free work <laughs> or provide free services internally. 
So that that's like my biggest, biggest recommendation. And I think it's one of the areas that people tend to overlook, which is really asking for opportunities within, specifically at large companies. So if you're in like a Fortune 1000 and you want to help, just go and ask, go and ask over and over again, how can I help? That's the very, very, very first place. The second place is volunteering. I would I would initially say volunteer at, um, you know, ask to volunteer at nonprofits. They always are looking for help in this area. They seldom have someone that's really dedicated to their security. So, you know, that's a de- definitely a place where you can go. Another place where you can um, get experience is by joining joining all of these cybersecurity clubs, groups, organizations, you know, definitely lend your expertise in those in those areas. So Sue, for example, if you're a PM and say you want you join the Women's Society of Cyber Jutsu and they need people to PM stuff, you know, go in there and come with your talents and then learn what you can out of that space. So wherever you are or whatever you're doing, try to figure out a way to use the skills that you have in to pick up to you're giving your skills over and you're learning and picking up other cybersecurity skills. So I hope that answered your question. Definitely chime in if you're available and join um, and let me know your thoughts. So a couple people are here that are always here. Hi, everybody. So BB says hi. Kevin says hi. Terrence Burns, hello. I don't know this other LinkedIn user. So another thing, folks, sometimes when it says just LinkedIn user, I believe that's when your your profile isn't public. So when, when, when we are, when we have these forums, we use the tool that we use to stream, it pulls in people from LinkedIn. And the ones that just say LinkedIn user tend to be ones that are not public profiles. If you're looking for an opportunity, my recommendation is to make your, your profile public. We can talk about LinkedIn profiles too, if that's something that you'd like to talk about. So um, who else is here? Keith Mitchell. Hi, Keith from Ann Arbor. Um, Let's see. Habibu, hello from Habib. How about early entry jobs? So Habib, this is a question that comes all the time, how to break into the industry and for for the folks that have not have pretty much only seen us on lives and haven't really been following us when we did the podcast before we got LinkedIn Live, um, the whole focus and the whole purpose of putting together this podcast was to ensure was to help people break into the industry. We realized Chris and I realized that so many people were struggling to break in, and it was kind of mind boggling to me since. There's supposed to be a skills and talent gap of over 600,000 positions in the U.S., I think, last count, and 3 million worldwide of security professionals. And I just read an article this morning about the uptick in which jobs are most wanted right now in the middle of COVID-19. And guess which jobs were at the top of the list? Guess which increase, which job postings increased by 20% from like March to now it's pretty much been cybersecurity engineers. So, so how do you break in? What about early entry jobs? 
that's one of these um, challenges that we've seen a ton over the last couple years. And it looks like it's just difficult to, there aren't as many entry-level jobs out there, unfortunately. And one of the, the fastest way to get in is to build up your experience while you're looking. So you could do that in a number of different ways. We had, um, we had uh, folks on the podcast last Friday talking about how, you know, if you, or Chris, for example, he initially started out in a help desk and then segued over into other roles that led into security. So if you can get your foot in the door of an organization in a different capacity in IT that you that, that they need people and they need help in, and I'm not necessarily saying help desk, but some other area, business analyst, something else, where you can get your foot in the door and then at in parallel, you know, build your lab at home, work on self-directed projects. So do things on your own um, to build up your skill set so that when an opportunity does arise, you have built that experience. You may not have built it in an organization per se, but you've built the experience by doing work by yourself on your own. So that's one of the, the areas that I would say is the first place to start when you come when it comes to early entry jobs. We're realizing there's just not enough of them out there. Um, all of these jobs are asking for tons of years of experience. We got a good laugh out of that last week about how many opportunities are asking for astronomical, ridiculous amounts of experience for, for a quote unquote junior level person. It is ridiculous. And we all know that junior level people are entry, what's considered entry level. You're really not supposed to have that much experience. So, all right, more folks are joining. Hey, Sabarish, thanks for joining. Another person says, good morning. Hey, Ben, Ben is back. Rup is here. Kevin says, have a productive week to everyone. Jamal just changed his profile. Yay, Jamal. Um, so Jamal Douglas is joining us from DC. So uh, Sabarish says, peeps with advanced degrees like an MS get paid more. It depends, Sabarish. So if it, so about degrees as a whole, all degrees are not created equally all degree programs are not created equally. So there's always a there's been a you know an active debate that we'll probably be debating for a long time degree or not no degree you know for entry level cybersecurity jobs. I am not going as a as a, the daughter of a college professor, I am never going to tell anybody to not get an education. However, um, do should there be a barrier to entry of a degree in cybersecurity careers? No. There should not be with if, if we supposedly have all these open positions and you have qualified people who have the skills, they should be able to get opportunities, point blank, period. Do I think degrees come into play in all the other different types of things? Absolutely. You know, leadership skills, managerial skills, just educating yourself as a whole, learning about different things. Um the network you build, really, when you're in a degree program and your peers. I mean, one of the ladies that I spoke with, a professor um, at Western Governors, she's awesome. And her name is slipping my mind right now. But she said that she learned more as a professor from, like she said, the peer group was amazing. So building that network of peers. Now, should you go out and spend 
$50,000 on a degree that can't yield you a job? Absolutely not. You know, should you be going potentially if you need a pathway to your local community college? Absolutely. So that's my thoughts when it comes to it. There are a lot of many, many, most of the people I think in the security field did not probably did not start with a degree. And it's a, it's a young field. A lot of people grew into it from all different other aspects of IT. It's crystal clear that it's not needed for an entry-level role. It is ridiculous to be rejecting people, to, in my humble opinion, especially when you don't have a pipeline of talent. So that's me. Um... Rashida Hines, my cousin. Oh my goodness. So, hey, Rashida, she's here. Rashida, did you get an, are you in the industry yet? We talked about this a couple years ago. So Rashida has a complete, I think a comp side degree. Um, somebody else says, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Unless you're an experienced professional, you'll likely have to start in an entry-level position, help desk or knock analyst. Yeah, we're seeing this over and over, you know, that this is the way people are getting in. So, help desk and then they learn a ton by being on the help desk chris was talking last week about the fact that when he was on the help desk and i i believe somebody else that's on twitter talks about all of the security related issues that they are fielding sitting at the help desk so help desk is one of those awesome places where you can go and grow and learn Knock analyst, so that's network operations center for people who don't know what knock analyst is. If you're in a networking space, that's also a great area to go and learn. So if there's opportunities showing up in these places and you have that experience, you know, you have that skill, get in there and then you can grow into um, cyber opportunities. But it's crystal clear that there's just not enough entry level roles out there for people right now. David says, Hey, hi, David. Um, okay, more comments. Habib, Habib said, thanks a lot for all this great information. I did help desk for one year. I have a bachelor in software engineering and a master's in cybersecurity. Yes, the years of experience is a problem for me. They asked for a minimum of five and I barely have two. So Habib, I would recommend that you apply anyway. One of the things that came up or has come up over and over again is that these job descriptions ask for everything in the kitchen sink and pretty much nobody can match these these ridiculous job descriptions. So if you feel that like you can do 40% of the job, apply anyway. Even if they ask for five years experience, you have to apply. Chris is joining us. Hey, friend. Hi. Oh, there he is. Okay, awesome. So I'm not here by myself. <laughs> I feel better. Okay. Um, COVID-19, I don't know who this is from, but the question is, oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I jumped all the way down. Let's see. COVID-19 work, home working leads to cybersecurity hiring spree. While there was an industry average decline of negative 10% for hiring changes month over month in March, this was just a negative 0.8% in software and IT services. Since then, there was a 0.35% fall in April, followed by a 7.21% increase in May. Sectors which have had the largest numbers of opening for cybersecurity positions since June 2018 are healthcare, and 120,000 openings and financial services at 115,000 openings and IT and services at 114,000 openings. And that is absolutely correct. I don't know who put this up here, 
but I um, was doing research recently on the various positions and openings and um, cyber is at the top of that list. So next question, candidates would also be wise to not state their education without internships qualifies as experience in cyber. Don't fully understand what that means. Also be wise to not state that their education qualifies as experience. Yeah, so correct. So your education is an experience. The one thing I do tell people is if you are really like a college grad, uh, you know, or in college to put your projects up there. So you want to put your any projects that you're doing and Chris can talk to this because he is a college professor. If you're doing a project and you're in one of Chris's classes, put that project up there as a little bit of mini experience, but you want to put it as a project. We don't want, don't put it as exp like hardcore experience. You know, it is a class project. That's cool. People can see, oh, this is what they've accomplished while in school. When you're in school, people understand, most leaders understand that you are not there. You don't know everything. That's why you're there. So putting that on and making it a project, I always tell people create a little project section on their, on their resume. If you don't have a ton of experience in the field and put in your, your related coursework, in the projects that you've been doing either at home or at school in that project section. Chris, you have yeah, um, I, I would add to that, describe the outcomes of what the project helped you learn or what you achieved. Or um, or if you're building a home lab, talk about the, the research that you do um, with regards to your home lab. So if you're using it to say build pie holes so you could better understand logging and analysis of network traffic those are great things to describe as what you're doing and the intended outcome of that project cool um let's see here buddy says the level of degree does not dictate, dictate salary i've seen a desktop support specialist with a master's make less than i do with an associate skills trump everything experience trumps everything so yes you can have a phd and sit in a role where your phd is not needed useful for that particular position and get whatever it is that all the other people on that in that job are getting because the the, the job is based on the role not necessarily not the degree uh, Keith says, Leighton, where is Leighton? We need to bring him back on here. Thumbs up to Leighton. Leighton is amazing and awesome and a buddy of ours. Okay, buddy says, Habib um, and Dan, find an organization that has upward mobility. If you show initiative, company, companies will often support your learning. That is absolutely true. Almost every Fortune, for, for sure Fortune 500, um, and definitely down into the Fortune 1000 and even smaller because they have to compete. Understand that they are, you know, they will give you most of the time a tuition reimbursement. Um, uh, they'll be able to do, do tuition reimbursement, um, certification reimbursement, anything to help you keep fresh in your career. Um, it's something that a lot of companies tout as a way to woo you into their companies. And, and yeah, in regards to initiatives, this could be um, working with another group to show that you have passion, 
say in cybersecurity, if you're in help desk and you want to and you want to transition to cybersecurity, work with the security team, show them things that you do in your day-to-day -day role, how it's security related and how you have a passion for it, or uh, find a gap in a system and show them why you're concerned about it. Do things outside of your ordinary expected role to show them that you have more than what meets the eye. Absolutely. Saber says, for cybersecurity roles, do recruiters hire freshers, meaning newbies, who are from top-ranked universities or university ranking is not an issue? Yes. Recruiters hire people from top-ranked universities. I was telling a buddy this weekend <laughs> the issue I have when it comes to when it comes to um, you know degree versus not degree. Some degree programs I do not hear from people. You want to know why? Because they are getting snapped up. Their degree programs are considered top-notch degree programs. They have a pipeline of students that get sent into various companies. And those companies have a partnership with these um, organizations. They go out, they make sure that the university makes sure to partner with industry. They make sure to understand what it is that students need to learn to be able to be successful in their roles. So when you go to certain schools, you can be prepared for companies that are going to come and poach, come, not poach you, but come and recruit you. So a good example is out here in Northern Virginia, Northern Virginia Community Co College is partnered up with Amazon Web Services. So Amazon Web Services has a partnership with AWS and with some of the schools in the area, the high schools in the area. So Fairfax County Public Schools, um, Loudoun County Public Schools, I believe Arlington County Public Schools. So they go into the schools, the high schools, and partner and work with the work with the students there and then they also have people teaching AWS courses in the community college so they're pipelining people they're teaching these kids and and young people and you know any kind of career change students they're teaching students what they would need when a student leaves out of the university or the high school setting and needs to come and get a job in AWS and that's what more of these universities really need to be doing. It does everyone a disservice when a person, we see this all the time, is literally disgruntled because they just paid $20,000, $40,000 on a degree, and then they're struggling to get a job. It is absolutely ridiculous to me. Most people are going to get these degrees to get jobs. So yes, in top-ranked universities, and it has to be top-ranked for security. So I mean, Penn State is a school that I have heard from CISOs, we want people out of this program, period. Whatever they're teaching over there, I gotta go dig into it, but they're teaching. They love the people, the kid, the young people that come out of Penn State, they don't show up in our inbox. They get snapped into these different roles. New York University's Tandon School of Engineering. They all have three, four, five different offers from like top Fortune 500 companies. It's some of these other situations where, you know, you're being sold something that is just not, it's not, the, the skills are not being taught in the school program. Um, Chris, you want to add anything? Yeah, I would say while recruiters might not um, go at specific top-ranked schools, companies might have a bias towards those schools simply because they're 
leaders are alumni from those schools and they want to support their alumni network. Um, you, you tend to have those biases that exist. Um, the, the other thing to think about for schools is what is your main reason for uh, going to those school? Is it for learning or is it for getting a job? Um, and that's a big difference because you can learn a lot from a program that isn't top ranked, but you have to understand that you might not get the same visibility when it comes to the hiring managers uh, for a program like that. Like for me, I went to Walden University. I learned a lot in my um, bachelor's and master's, but it's not one of those schools that's well known um, for information security but I used it to expand my knowledge. And because I am a continuous learner, I went for it for learning, not necessarily for the notoriety. Yeah, and that's, I, you double down on that, you know, go for the learning. That's one set of, that's one area. If you're going to get a job, it's a different situation. And everyone really should be looking at, if you're looking at a university program, I would recommend that anyone that's looking at a university program right now in the cybersecurity space should take that program and find out what percentage of their graduates are hired in the field of study within 90 days, you know, six months, what have you. Like, that's how you should be. If you're going to a program to get a job, that's what I would be doing. I'd be looking at where your alumni hired, how fast do they get hired? That's it. Because <laughs> otherwise, you could use your time in all other kinds of different places. So, um, oh, another thing that Chris added in terms of the alumni and the biases, some of these organizations are funding some of these programs. So on top of just alumni coming and saying, hey, I'm hiring people from, you know, um, George Mason, for example, I'm just picking names out of a hat. I'm going back to my school. It might be that Amazon Web Services has a partnership and is funding some of the things that are there. They might be funding the lab or whatever it is. So they have a vested interest in making sure that the students in those programs get back, you know, are back. They're, they're pretty much funding to build their pipeline of talent. So that's another that's another area you want to look at when you're looking at universities. Okay, so Buddy says help desk allows you to better understand the end user experience. It gives you perspective and realize what problems you'll run into. And Chris can talk about this <laughs> because this was his world. This was his world. So Chris, if you wanna add anything else. No, I, I just second that. Um, you get to see how users interact, the experience they have, the psychological ways to support them. Because if you understand what they're trying to achieve and why they do things that they do, you can better support them from a security aspect. Okay, perfect. And Rashida, my little cousin, says she got bumped out of her IT job. Rashida, we have to talk then. She's got her CCNA. Um, that's my little cousin in New York, for real. <laughs> so Buddy Layton put his own name up. That's hilarious. Okay, Buddy wants to know, why did you get bumped out of your job? I don't know if it's a, it's a New York City COVID thing. Not sure, but we'll be in touch. So let's see here. Certifications. Whoa, there's all of these things. Uh, 
what are some of the most common? I want to make sure I get to all the questions. Okay. Uh, the new way to find positions during this time is to attend virtual happy hours or also virtual hiring events that are on Eventbrite. That is absolutely true. And this is from Katia Dean, who is doing some wonderful things in terms of um, helping people find opportunities. She is absolutely right. New way to find positions around now. It is There's a lot of virtual hiring going on. We are going to be breaking into cybersecurity and um, a couple of federal agencies are partnering up. They're going to be sharing a lot of information. It's coming soon. Hopefully it will be this, hopefully we start this Thursday, but if not, it's going to be sometime in August where they'll be sharing all types of ways that you can apply and get information specifically in the federal sector, since we know that's an area that is so, it's so hard to figure out how to get in there. So we're going to be providing that, that, um, that opportunity soon. Chris, you want to add anything? No, I was just going to say during COVID, you have to find new ways to do things. So if that's uh, virtual happy hours, virtual conferences, virtual hiring events, um, that's the way to go. Um, with that, you have to find new ways to market yourself, brand yourself, stand out from the rest of the competition, target the companies that you're looking for by um, responding to their posts, things like that. Yep. Habib, all right, thanks, appreciate it. So between cybersecurity certificates and degree, what's the best thing to do? Because a lot of positions list certificate requirements instead of degrees. You wanna take that one, Chris? Sure. Um, so degrees are about knowledge. Certifications are geared towards more the technical knowledge for a specific area, but all certifications really do is tell you that you can remember a certain amount of information about a technical subject. So it's a little more pointed than a degree program, um, but if sort of other certs have a hands-on component, those are the ones that um, really help you stand out. So for example, the OSCP requires that you do a hacking lab and shows that you demonstrate your skills, um, those 10, type of certifications tend to hold more weight than one that is just a multiple choice question. Um, I personally, if I were choosing right now in my career and I didn't have a bachelor's and a master's, I would go down the cert route um, and find ways to demonstrate my technical capabilities versus um, going for a degree. If I were to go down the degree route, it would simply be for my continuous education and not necessarily uh, for a job. Yeah. I would also add in that a lot of the degree programs, specifically the community college ones, have the classes that align to the certifications. So you may walk out with an associate's and, you know, three or four certs. Um, I think in Western Governors is one that you get your four-year degree or when you're getting your degree, the, the assessment is the certification, like passing the certification class, I believe. Is that correct, Chris? Yeah. yeah, I think if you start their bachelor program from scratch, you walk out with like six or 10, six to 10 different certifications. Um, and, and they're the 
there a solid foundation of certifications that you're looking um, to stand out for in the industry? Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so Buddy wants to know, what are some of the most common misconceptions new candidates have about the interview process? Um, <laughs> they think it's going to, first and foremost, I think, Chris, you want to jump in? They think it's going to be easy. You know, they, they, they don't realize how difficult it is to break in, I think, which lends to be a big frustration for a lot of people. And it immediately, you know, frustration can very quickly turn into anger you know it's like you're mad at life you're mad at the world um that kind of stuff and so i think that's one of the biggest the, the biggest challenges is um that a they don't see a lot of entry-level positions a handful of positions that are entry-level say entry-level but in actuality they're asking for all of this crazy experience um i'm trying to think of which other ones I think Brian um, Hoagley, that was on Friday, said it best. Um, this is essentially an industry where you need to cut your teeth somewhere first and show that you understand the foundations and the world before you can get in. And while there are some entry level degrees that experience, uh, uh, entry level positions, that experience is definitely helpful. Um, the other thing is unreal salary expectations, huh. um, especially from some of the more prominent schools where um, they say that you're going to get a six-figure degree uh, or a six-figure income leaving with that degree program um, unless they have that job lined up with one of those sponsor programs like Renee was talking about. Um, that's very unlikely depending unless you're in like san francisco maybe yeah yeah depending on your region but more yeah. often than not that's one of the big misconceptions and it's unfortunate because i think people have been sold a bill of goods that you know it, it's very I, we see the other side of it chris and i really see people who are um you know i think they come in with really good intentions obviously if you pay a lot of money and you put your time and effort into going to school you know most of these folks are doing it because they want to change and get into the industry and unfortunately they've been just sold um and marketed to and it's really really sad and we see it a ton um, hence this whole platform here because we just wanted to help people who were struggling um, I think the other thing is they wait until after they graduate um, to start their search, but by then they're three months behind the rest of the curve. Um, you have to be starting your search three months before you graduate. Um, let employers know that you you're about to graduate, but you're you're already looking for a role. Yeah, I would I would even say further back than that. Like you're not, you're networking, you're marketing, you're going out there saying when you're going to be graduating a year before, um, before you graduate. Like, you know, you definitely want to just be passively looking around, looking at opportunities, scoping out the market. You know, it's kind of like 
you're going to buy a house and you just show up. Yeah, it, it's nice if you can, if it's nice if you're already, especially if you want to buy something that's relatively close to your area. You want to see what the market is like. You want to see what kind of houses are out there. You don't want to be scrambling at the bitter end. Like I have to get into something and then you realize that your 300,000 isn't going to get you, you know, that five bedroom home that you want. <laughs> Especially in the DC area. In the DC metro area, you're getting nothing. <laughs> you're getting a one and a half bedroom condo. Okay, so she just said that her role became a um, civil service position. So that's that issue. Somebody says that they're listening. We are glad that you're listening. Hopefully, this provides you with all the information that you need to make an informed decision. So Chris wants to know, I mean, Keith wants to know, Chris, what are your thoughts on listing your core courses in grad school and the grade you achieved on your resume, the educational section? Um, I You can list your courses if you can talk about the curriculum and the outcome. Um, if you're just listing the courses and I'm interviewing you and I ask you about the specific course, what you did and what you took from it, and you can't speak to that, um, that that takes away from listing it there. Uh, if you can summarize what the course was about, what you achieved, what you're going to take from that course to the business world at, in regards to solutions or skill sets, then that's a different situation. Then Then you can list it. Um, and it will help you. It will help you stand out because uh, the courses will have keywords in there. Hopefully, you're highlighting the ones that align to your career. So those keywords will help trigger when uh, ATS system look at your resume or recruiters look at your resume. Those keywords will trigger based on those courses. So I would add. Keith, Chris, you're absolutely right. I would add that um, to Chris's point, add in the projects. So yes, you can list the courses, but really it shouldn't just be a list of courses. It could be like two or three projects that you took away from the course. So as Chris said before, the result. So if you, whatever you learned in that course and that result of that, whatever that capstone, capstone project was, that kind of a thing, like I'm, I was working with some, I'm working on helping some interns um, or some young people get into internships and they are college juniors. So I told them, and these are business majors. So I said to them, what were two courses that you were really, really excited about? And one young lady talked about her human resources, human capital course. I said, great, what did you learn? What did you do? She worked on um, an employee handbook excellent. So we are going to work through specifically what she did in that court, like the result. So you want to do the same thing in your courses. Whatever the result is, is what you really want to, you want to be able to talk about it in an interview. That's that and, and discuss, oh, I wasn't aware of this. And now by, by taking this course and working on this project, this is the end result. This is what I got. This is the knowledge I gained. These are the little bit of skills that I gained. Um, Okay, Buddy is talking to Rashida about getting a CCNA. Um, someone asked, why pursue a degree if the majority is stressing skills and experience? So pursue the degree just to be told you need the experience. Um, so I don't know if you, whoever, um, which whoever is um, 
is making this comment. I think Chris and I both talked about um, the different options. You know, if you were looking for some people don't, it's a, it's almost a catch 22 all the time. It's the age old thing. How do you get experience? <laughs> you, you know, you're in school. How do you get the experience? They don't want to hire you because you don't have a degree for organizations that have, that have a degree requirement, which many still do. You will need a degree to get into some of these roles. It's just, it is what it is. It's not, a, it's, it's black. It's pretty cut and dry. Some smaller organizations usually will flex on this kind of stuff. The, the majority of the companies that I have worked with, I've worked with smaller ones too, but the majority of the companies that I've worked with, which have been Fortune 500, almost always are requesting degrees. It just is what it is. Now, there have been changes recently because so many companies realize like, hey, we need the talent, you know, we need the talent. All talent doesn't have degrees. We're going to set up assessments and, you know, so some of those bigger companies, I, I believe Google does this, Apple does this, some, some of these companies where you set up assessments, you go through the assessment process, and if you quote unquote pass the test, then you get an, an opportunity um, for an interview. So none of us are saying, you know, to do it or not to do it. It's really your personal preference. Um, if you're one of these, if you can if you are super self-directed and you can figure out and network and, and do everything else and get a certification and do all of that, for sure. If you need something that's more structured, like a Western Governors University, for example, that's really inexpensive, that you can go in, you're getting certifications, you're getting built in a network and doing all of that, go that route too. I am not one to say, you know, to go spend $40,000 or 30000 which is a lot of the numbers that I see thrown around, which is bizarre to me. Um, and some, some of these programs for a degree, I think it's crazy. Uh, community colleges, most classes are under $1,000, which aligns to the type of class, you know, if you're taking like a boot camp or something for a lot of certifications, it kind of aligns. I personally like community colleges a lot because the professors, the people teaching them are usually in the industry. So on top of it being, you know, an individual that you can communicate with instead of say a YouTube video that you can't ask a question to and get an answer back. Now you have actually a human being on the other side that you can communicate with and they likely are working in the industry. So, you know, if I had to tell someone that literally was coming off the street, what should I do to, I, I would point them in that direction. That's me. Chris. Yeah. I, I would add that. Um, I got my associates, my bachelor's, my master's. Um, I, I love my associates because I walked out of there in a year and a half with a degree. It's, it's an associate's degree, but I used that to get past some of the companies that wanted a bachelor degree requirement. And they made an exception because I had the associate's degree. So it's still a degree. It still shows that um, you have the persistence to go through and to complete um, a program and you have you can do structured learning, you can do research. Um, there's a lot of skills, soft skills that you learn in a university that you can't learn in a boot camp, And that's what some of the, the companies are looking for, that you can write, that you can communicate, things like that. Yep. So Chris has to go soon. So I'll finish up the rest of these questions if he has to run. Chris, you're leaving me out here on a lurch again. Okay. 
<laughs> so Salvarish wants to know, how about Johns Hopkins and Georgia Tech? I don't know of them. I mean, these are both really established universities. I don't know the intricacies. Like, I'm assuming they have really great pipelines to hire, but I don't know them personally. So I know Georgia Tech is pretty highly rated. So is John Hopkins. So I'm assuming that their people just probably get put straight into opportunities. Um, I know this is Leighton, the best university for the money is WGU. I, I believe this is Leighton. Um, <laughs> and his son to WGU, he's referred it a ton, ton of times. And I would agree with him, you know, that so many people are, are going after that degree program because it's inexpensive you get a certification it's taught by people in the industry it's pretty good um and i, I this might be late in two certs are required as the assessment process for the degree so you get the certification you pass the, so you pass the cert you know you pass the class that type of thing so buddy says um most hiring managers and human resources do not overtly distinguish experience above degrees many require both at this time the current trend in order is experience number one, experience number two degrees, and number three certifications. Yep. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I would totally agree. Um, so Buddy says, Leighton, I'm starting WGU this fall. It's the easiest, fastest program, but most of the certifications are basic, unfortunately. So. Well, yeah, I mean, so a lot of, if you are comparing the technical knowledge between a degree program and a cert, you will find that a lot of certs are at the master level or higher um, when it comes to technical content. And that's why you, you're mentioning that a lot of the certs are the basic ones because a lot of the curriculum at the bachelor level is really still foundational. Um, so those higher certs that you're wanting to get those are usually not at the, the bachelor level. Right. It's for people who are experienced and they have the, they already have the skills, they have the experience already. And then you get the cert on top of that. So yeah. to Chris's point, it's not going to have a CISSP because you're supposed to have supposedly have five years experience to get a CISSP. And if you're in an undergraduate degree program, not to say that you don't have the five years experience, but if it's a, traditional, I just came out of high school and I'm going into college situation, you won't have the five years experience. Yep. Unless you're a guru working all night as like a 13 year old. Um, so it seems misleading for schools to push a degree and then get overlooked in the job market. Uh, you know, I, I agree with that. <laughs> especially if they, especially if they're, you know, selling not only knowledge and skills, but $100,000 job opportunities. That's that's just unfortunate. It's not right. Okay, Cloda says, show energy and constant curiosity. No degrees are not everything. I'm a perfect example. Many years of science and engineering without actually getting a degree. So it's not mandatory. It just makes your path easier. Most of the industry is messy and full of legacy. Deciphering that chaos needs an innovator and creative solution finder mindset go for in interesting jobs over instant cash. It's good advice. Don't have anything to add. Um, 
So Buddy says, I actually have both education and skills. So it's such a game to land a lucrative position in cyber. <laughs> it is a game. I mean, it's it's bizarre. Some days I wonder, it's like, do we really have the skills gap? What's going on? Well, um, it, it's what are you going to do for the company? How does your experience, your degree, your knowledge solve a business problem for the company? They're not going, as um, Olivia mentioned, a while ago, they're, they're, uh, and Renee mentioned, they're not going to hire you just because they have a pain point, they they have a problem that they need to solve, and that's why they're hiring you. If they didn't have that pain point, if they didn't have a problem to solve, they they can assign the task to someone else. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. I still, I mean, I feel the pain of the candidates and not to say that the, the this definitely should be effort and work on behalf of the candidate on the candidate side, but especially young people that I see. And I'm, we're, I mean, I'm super excited because we're going to have people from Europe and some of those candidates come, um, some of the people who actually have gotten into the industry through this awesome, amazing program. Um, that they just spend like one year getting uh, corporate experience and getting the certifications and things like that get in. But, um, you know, if if we are truly an industry that needs 600,000 people into positions in the United States, then we have to come up collectively. The big we is the people, at, you know, the powers that be have to figure out a way to easily start pipelining people, people who want in you know, in. So that's my thing. Uh, Buddy says, lucrative is a subjective term. Focus on your skills and education. The money will be there. Even without the salary, there are often additional benefits, which include certifications and college tuition reimbursement, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I agree 100%. However, when I know when I was in, by Chris. Bye. Yes, <laughs> See, my 12 o'clock got canceled so I can hang out. Um, when, you know, I 100% agree. However, there are people who, and I'll give a great example. Um, a couple years ago, a, a number of people, it was really kind of strange. They all came, not all, but a lot of them had like customer service jobs and um, in your major retailers. So for example, you know, Walmart, Target, um, all these different places. And, you know, they were trying to come up with, they, they were looking into careers. They wanted to do something. They wanted to, you know, make a better, get a better salary for themselves. Um, so they went to certain degree programs. They were sold on the fact that, hey, instead of working in Walmart, <laughs> making $15,000 an hour, whatever the number is, you can come over here and make 80000 or 100 whatever the number was. And, you know, these people ended up, it was really, really sad to see, you know, they did all this work, they're working full time, you know, they're putting in this effort, they get this degree, and at the end of it, the degree program did not set them up for those types of roles. So, you know, it pains me to see stuff like that, because people are trying to do good, they're just getting, you know, poor advice, unfortunately, um, and being sold into scenarios that, at the end of the day, you know, they are looking for something better. And granted, should every single person getting into the industry 
be all about passion and everything. Yes, but sometimes you get your passion while you're in there. Sometimes you get in and then you figure out, oh, I, like, I really like this or I really like that or what have you. So um, that's just another uh, perspective on some people who are looking to make more than they're currently making in their current roles. I think this is late in saying WGU is awesome. <laughs> and Layton did not attend, but he recommended it to many, including one of his sons. And he's found that the WGU grads are doing very well in cyber positions. I agree with you, Layton. I see those grads out there a ton and um, seems like a really great program. It's inexpensive. No, I don't work for them, but I see a lot of people, especially military, a lot of folks in the military um, get that degree. So uh, Buddy says he's had sessions with recruiters um, for about six months before pulling the trigger. Turns out there are several advanced certifications. Okay, so we're talking about WGU here. Um, do not wait to graduate before you start job hunting. That is like probably, <laughs> talk about misconceptions, that's one of them. People wait way too late. It takes a long time to get a job. Um, it takes a while. So actively networking and interviewing and getting in the mindset of just inter just talking to people and learning about even what you want to do. Like you may go into a degree program, you come out, you don't really understand like every, the different nuances and the different areas that you're, you, you know, you would do best in, you're most interested in, that needs the most talent, all that kind of stuff. Michael is here. I'm listening. Hey, Michael. Talk to you later. <laughs> So, uh, Buddy says, do you have any recommendations for sites or articles that show all the paths in cybersecurity? Um, Buddy, I will put something up afterwards. I know NICE has a framework. Um, Chris, who just jumped off, he has a ton of great articles that show the different paths. And Leighton, I think, has a path, uh, some type of, um, Leighton has something. Layton, share what you have with Buddy, because you have a, uh, I think it's an infographic, and it has all the different paths. I also think CompTIA has something with paths as well, but there are a few out there. Buddy, I'll make sure to get back to you. Keith says, Michael, Piazzante, yes. I know, Michael is awesome. Um, Danielle, the university I graduated from has a presence in Western Mass. I live closer to Boston. It's like starting from scratch. So yeah, Danielle, I, I understand, feel your pain. The one good thing right now is that there is so much um, remote opportunities and hopefully your university, wherever um, in Western Mass is now um, allowing, you know, partnering with alum to get more opportunities that are across the country because now, you know, everything is everywhere and we're all working from home wherever we are. So Buddy is getting some thumbs up. Amen. You said it, Chris. Buddy, uh, cyberseek.org pathway. That's a good one. So anyone that's out here, cyberseek.org forward slash pathway. Hey, Burton. I am going down this list here so I can wrap shortly. We're almost at one hour. For cyber, you don't want to be mediocre also. No, you don't. You'll get in cybersecurity, it's <laughs> the fastest place for you to get. If you're mediocre, you're going to be gone. So you can get as many jobs as you want and then get th literally thrown out very quickly. Um, 
Key says, I recommend that everyone check out the networking group Women in Cybersecurity. They have informative training seminars as well. For example, there is one coming up this week on AWS Security. And yes, they do allow men to join the network. That's awesome, Keith. Another resource for everybody. Everyone else is saying, uh, providing. Burton says, cyberseek.org heatmap.html. And it will show that all the jobs in um, Washington, D.C. metro area. Um, so NIST, nice cyber workforce framework is great to see all the different cybersecurity paths. So this is the one. This is probably Katia talking because she knows the space really well. NIST, nice cyber workforce framework. Um, Yamara says, I'm curious to see how entry level training and onboarding for cyber teams will look while working remotely. Most of the trainings were, they have remote options. I mean, outside of going to physical in-person conferences, a lot of those conferences would have a hybrid where some are online and some are offline. So it's probably going to be very similar. It's just that everybody is going to be offline. I mean, everybody's going to be remote and at home. So folks, this has been fun. I appreciate you all taking the time to come and join me. Thanks for your questions and your comments and sharing all these awesome resources. Happy to do this tomorrow. We'll be back again. Um, our leadership series, Sarah is unavailable tomorrow. So Dr. Dan was unavailable today. Sarah won't be available tomorrow. So we'll pick up tomorrow doing some more of this, especially if you're interested. Make sure to reach out and share your questions. You could either do it, send it to me directly. Um, you can DM me, or if you want to post it up there, you could post it and we will jump into some of the questions out there. Um, To respond to what Chris said, I bring various solutions and ideas to a company, but it's still a challenge to get an opportunity while having the skills, experience, and education. It's never been a selfish approach to work for an employer. I'm willing to give expertise to an organization. Um, yeah, that's why I kind of made my point about the fact that it seems as though there's this barrier and it doesn't seem to make any sense to me. If we have, it's one thing if it's oversaturated. And I was sharing this with a colleague the other day about how, um, about how, you know, this industry continuously says we have all these open positions, right? Like, oh, there's 600,000, like 600,000 open positions and you have people who are paying money to get degrees in this, even though the degrees aren't quote unquote good or effective, right? Because they're not getting the roles based on what the degree is teaching. Um, there has to be some other way. Like, how can we shore that up? How can we help these people, help all of these folks, help all of you get into the industry? It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and it doesn't, it seems like we're fighting to, it, it's, it's bizarre. We have 600,000 open positions, a bunch of people trying to get in, <laughs> they can't get in. And it's always, it's, it's absolutely bizarre to me. Absolutely bizarre. So definitely oh, want to do all I can to get you guys in to the industry. Um, so Yamara says, uh, NIST, oh, that's me, Yamara, awesome. She's the one who provided this nice framework. Somebody says more of this with just with you. Oh, who said that? Who wants to see just me? That's so sweet, whoever that is. Um, Yamara says she loves this and thanks for more sessions. 
someone says a lack of internships and a lack of sponsorships. I 100, well, the sponsorship thing, I, I mean, that's a complete U.S. government situation that I can't even touch. But internships, absolutely. I believe it should be required for a degree program to have some kind of baked in internship. It should be like a class. And when you get out of that internship and you have those skills, then you can graduate. That's my personal belief. Anywho, see you all tomorrow around the same time. Talk to everybody soon. Bye.